You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host. Hi, this is Dahlia Khalili. I'm the guest host today on Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern uh, on KABC 790. Thank you for joining us today. Um, our guest today is Elena DeLacy. She is the executive director of the American River Conservancy. We're happy to have her join us. Um, Elena is currently the executive director. She's worked with the organization for almost 20 years. Um, and it seems like the organization has been around since the late 80s. So with that, um, welcome, Elena. Good to see you. Thank you. Nice to um, meet you, Delia. You too. Um, could you uh, maybe start off and give us an idea about um, just maybe first start with the mission statement and um, what areas you service um, mm -hmm. for all the listeners today? Sure. Yeah. So American River Conservancy, or I'll refer to us by our acronym, which is ARC um, for most of the show. It's kind of a mouthful to say American River Conservancy <laughs> every single time. Um, but we're a community nonprofit organization, and our mission is to ensure healthy ecosystems in the Upper American River and Upper Kasumnas River watersheds. So um, that's basically west of Sacramento, east of Lake Tahoe, um, in the central Sierra Nevada. Um, and we do that through a combination of land conservation, um, land stewardship, and um, environmental education services to our community. Um, we are a small organization. We have about 12 staff at this time. Um, and we're just, you know, we've been around since 1989, as you mentioned, late 80s. Um, and it's, it's really kind of a, a unique opportunity to kind of speak to you today because we are, um, our, much of our service area right now is is being um, is burned in the Caldor fire that's ongoing. So. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear about that. And you, I know these fires ravaging California. You know, it seems like it's not just the season; it's almost year long, and um, it started to affect almost you know so many residents of our state. Um, can you maybe start? Um, and let us know a little bit about what's happening in the areas that you do service with the fire and um, any response that you're all taking, um, if you can. Uh, yeah. Any possible response at this time other than having firefighters going. Right. Well, it started about two weeks ago. And um, at that time, it was a very small fire uh, when it first started. And uh, we, we have uh, about, I would say we have about 1,500 active supporters. Um, we have lots of volunteers. And so we just made sure that all of our staff and volunteers and supporters were okay. And just let everybody know that, you know, if they need assistance evacuating or whatever, um, that we have a really tight knit community of people that are able to help. Um, so immediately, you know, that was, that was the immediate response from us as an organization. And, and also, you know, putting the call out to folks to, um, encourage them to donate money to relief efforts for the evacuees and others who lost their homes. Um, so, you know, just banding together as a community is our first response. And I think right now what we're, what we're focusing on, because we are a science-based organization, um, is 
and, and we do partner very closely with uh, agencies that are um, in charge of land management in the area. So the um, El Dorado National Forest, U.S. Forest Service, um, mostly, you know, most of the fires burning on, on federal public lands. Uh, we've been in contact with their scientists and their emergency response team. Um, they have a, it's called a BEAR team. It's B-A-E-R, it's Burn Area Emergency Response, I think is what it stands for. But they're already talking about getting in there and um, their job is to evaluate the intensity of the fire and effects from the fire. Um, and part of our job as a partner is to help them with um, future restoration efforts. So um, going in there and making sure that erosion doesn't have a huge significant impact on the watershed but also monitoring, monitoring impacts. So that's something that we're looking at already, even now as the fire still burns. Um, and for the area that um, the ARC services, um, how long have you been seeing fires affect that area? Well, fires are a natural part of the ecological landscape here. Um, I, ever since I have lived, I grew up in Sacramento. So ever since I've can remember, we've always had smoke from wildfire affecting the air quality. And um, I think the difference now is that fires are bigger. Um, we basically call them mega fires now. Um, the one that's burning right now, the Caldor fire is approaching 200,000 acres. Um, and it's burning areas that I didn't think could be burned. They're, Lots of granite, um, you know, the, it's crested the Sierra at Echo Summit. So lots of granite up there, but it's spotting miles and miles to the east. So, so yeah, fires, natural part of the landscape, natural part of the ecosystem, but not these mega fires. These are completely different and they're driven by different, um, different things. How long have you been noticing the mega fires in the area? Um, I think when we started, I think it really started for me noticing it was with the King fire in 2014. Mm -hmm. And that, that was a fire that started near Pollock Pines, near Highway 50, and went north um, through much of the upper American River watershed. And um, that was, I think it was just over 97,000 acres, that fire. And that at that time, that seemed like a really big fire. And it was, <laughs> but now it, it's dwarfed in comparison to some of the other fires that we're seeing in Northern California, like the Dixie fires, over 500,000 acres now. And so it's, it's, it's been a six or seven years and, and we're, you know, it's, it's, challenging to say the least, but there, there are solutions. There are, there are things that we can do better um, to make sure that at least these fires don't impact our, our watersheds the way that they have been. So. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess we can get in a little bit some more of the solutions. And I kind of wanted to first like revert back to, uh, you talked about the mission of the organization and how did it start? You know, what was what was the need that you all saw um, in that area? I would say that 
just like any other nonprofit kind of grassroots organization, we started um, as a result of a small group of people who uh, lived in the area and saw uh, some, I think, I think they saw some illegal road building happening along this, the banks of the South Fork American River. Uh, you know, maybe they went down on boats or something. The South Fork American River is a really popular whitewater um, rafting destination. And so there was already a large um, river community um, you know, based in the, on the South Fork American River. And a lot of people cared about the river and what happened on their route down the river. And so they, they banded together and decided that something needed to happen to make sure that the, the river corridor and the watershed was protected for, so that, you know, everybody could enjoy it. And so what it started just you know, maybe five, six people who were willing to, you know, volunteer their time. Uh, I don't think we had a paid employee the first two years of the organization's existence. So um, it's definitely a labor of love for many of us. Yeah, actually, I think I've gone rafting down there a couple of times when I was a kid. So um, yeah, definitely a, a fun area, but an area that needs to be preserved and kept clean um and how how is it um from i guess stemming from that point what other areas of need did the organization see um in addition to protecting that watershed area yeah so the south fork american river is where it started but really it to um, encompass the whole entire upper american river watershed so everything east of folsom lake up into placer county and el dorado county to the crest of the sierra but also in the late 90s, there was a need to, uh, there was sort of a, a hole to be filled with the south part of El Dorado County, which is the Cusumnus River watershed. And so we, we expanded our efforts into the Cusumnus River watershed, which is a really unique watershed. Um, the river is, there's no major dams on that river. So it's, it's a very different river system from the American River, which has over 17 dams and hydroelectric facilities on it. So it's a good, um, comparison between the two. They're both very important rivers and both of them provide water to um, Sacramento region and um, for wildlife as well. And how many people in California um, rely on the water of those, the, that portion of the American River and the Consumnus River? Um, I would say, I don't know exactly from just the American River alone, but I do know that um, about 27 million Californians rely on water from both the Sacramento and the, uh, you know, Sacramento and San Joaquin rivers combined. Great. Well, let's um, take a break. Um, we'll be back with Elena DeLacy of the American River Conservancy. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. 
Hi, um, this is KBC 790's Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter, and this is Dahlia Khalili, um, guest hosting. We're back with Elena DeLacy of the American River Conservancy, or ARC. Um, you know, before the break, we were talking a bit about the recent color fire and how it's affecting the area. Um, and I wanted to kind of delve into the larger issue of climate change um, and how it's affecting the area. Um, and um, Elena, could you give us a little bit of insight into ARC's role in addressing climate change? Sure. Yeah, so it, uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on. One, one is just land conservation in, in general and how that addresses climate change and also land management and land stewardship and how, how we are participating in projects to help address the impacts from climate change. But um, first, land conservation, we are, we are a land trust um, at our core. And for those of you who might not know what a land trust is, we essentially what we do is we purchase land or we accept donations of land from willing sellers or willing donors. Um, and that land is protected forever. It's in perpetuity. So, um, and we do that, we protect land by creating recreational access on some areas. Sometimes we will maintain working farms and ranches. Other times the land may just be set aside for wildlife habitat where there's an endangered species. So it really depends on, on what that is. Um, but really, I, I think it's important to um, recognize the importance of land conservation, um, natural and working lands, uh, forests, grasslands, wetlands, rivers, farms, rangelands, um, and even urban green spaces like parks, um, I think are really key to helping um, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions because you're taking land out, uh, you know, away from being converted or developed into something that may increase carbon emissions. Also for things like forests and grasslands and wetlands are extremely good at capturing carbon and storing carbon. And um, with forests, you know, especially we see if, if trees are allowed to grow bigger and older, they will they will store more carbon than even smaller trees. So that's really important. Um, I would say that in terms of um, our area um, in the central Sierra Nevada, climate change really manifests itself in uh, mega fires, as we talked about, but also drought. Um, and just uncertainty with water supply is a huge issue for us. Um, and one of the ways that we're trying to work towards solutions on that and, and address those issues is, is through a, um, a unique partnership uh, project, and it's called the French Meadows Partnership. Um, and we we currently manage about 6,400 acres um, right above French Meadows Reservoir in Placer County. So it's just west of Squaw Valley area, um, west of Lake Tahoe. Um, and we we were able to purchase about 10,000 up there in 2015 um, from a, a timber investment corporation. Um, and 
we donated some of the land to the Tahoe National Forest and they included it in the Granite Chief Wilderness area, but we retained some of the land because we felt it was important to um, participate in this partnership with other partners like the Nature Conservancy and the National Forest and um, Placer County Water Agency, Placer County, uh, Sierra Nevada Conservancy, UC Merced is involved, um, lots of different partners. Um, but there's definitely a distinct link between ecological-based thinning and reducing the fuels in the forest and water supply. And so we're exploring that link, but we're also, um, it's a demonstration project in many ways because we're demonstrating how landscape scale um, ecological forest management can work when you have partners working together. Um, but, you know, it's kind of everything coming together. There's, there's these threats of past forest management, um, fire suppression, climate change, and so these forests that were once characterized by widely spaced trees and beneficial low severity fires have now become um, dominated by thick growths of small trees, very, very small trees um, and shrubs and these destructive mega fires. So, so what we're able to do is, is come in with our partners um, with funding um, from various sources to do ecological thinning. So we do thinning by hand, also thinning from below, which involves heavy machinery. Um, we remove biomass. Um, we will eventually come in to those areas that we've treated and use prescribed fire to continue to manage those, those landscapes um, to reduce the risk of mega fires. But it also has this, this added benefit um, of protecting the watersheds above these reservoirs, these important reservoirs on the American River, the headwaters of the American River, um, because, you know, um, we saw with the King Fire in 2014, 2015, that after the fire, after, you know, the first storms that came through just washed everything down into the reservoirs and it's really destructive. And so it, it costs the water agency's money, it costs taxpayers and ratepayers money. So we're trying to be um, proactive and prevent something like that happening again. Um, and it's really a unique opportunity to really study the impacts of how these different forest treatments are able to um, interact with water supply. So that's where UC Merced and the Sierra Nevada Research Institute comes in. They have um, data loggers and um, uh, monitoring stations set up on our property, on our land that we manage, and also on the Forest Service side of things, um, where they're able to capture um, really useful um, empirical data to apply to the research and the models that they're working on for the entire Sierra. So um, it's just, it's a great project. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that can I just ask you a question? Sure. So one thing sure. that I'm like really intrigued by is the people donating, um, I guess, is it mostly donating private land to your organization to be able to maintain and with the thought that eventually it's going to be then donated from your organization over to one of the, the state or national park? So this particular project, we purchased the land from mm -hmm. the seller. 
Um, they did not donate it. And so I would say the vast majority of the land that we conserve or protect through conservation is actually purchased. Um, we do occasionally get land donated to us, which is wonderful. Um, and much of the time when we're accepting donations of land, um, we will hold on to it and, and manage it ourselves. But I would say of the 28,000 or so acres we've protected over the last 32 years, we have um, donated or transferred about 50% of those lands to land management agencies. So that includes Forest Service, BLM, um, state parks, um, so because they have more resources to manage the, the lands. Um, and sometimes we, we co-manage, sometimes we help them with, with management and will participate with raising funds for that sort of thing. That's great. And the when you were talking about the little the shrubs or the smaller trees that mm -hmm. have kind of filled in that area that was usually mm -hmm. typically or in the past spaced out, is that the result of fires that result in new growth below? Is that where that's coming from? Well on that particular property it's it's a result of um, past forestry practices. So we purchased the land from a timber um, investment corporation. So they were managing it. The only thing they were managing it for was to remove timber. And so they weren't managing it for the ecological aspects of it necessarily. They were managing it as a, as a plantation, essentially. So the areas where we, we are seeing these really closely, densely packed trees where we have over sometimes thousands trees per acre where historically you would only see maybe 150 trees per acre. Um, that was a result of that past management where they would take all the trees of the same age, which is basically, it's called even age forest management, AKA clear cutting. <laughs> um, and they would take all those trees and they would come back and replant, but really close together. And so you, you have, you know, open the canopy up and you get all kinds of growth underneath. And then when you don't manage it, and it becomes this basically a tinderbox. That's that's really intriguing. I, I didn't know anything about any of that. So um, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, well, before we kind of delve into an area, I think it's a good time for a break. So why don't we, um, we'll continue on with the um, conservation um, topics that you were talking about um, and get into the stewardship as well in your land management. Um, so. Um, we'll take a break. This is KBC 790 Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern, and um, we'll be back with our guest, Elena DeLacy. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. Hey, we're back with United Heal America with Matt Mattern. This is guest host Dahlia Khalili, and we're back with Elena DeLacy, Executive Director of the American River Conservancy, or ARC. Um, before the break, you had touched upon some of the partnerships um, that ARC has um, in managing this land and 
the conservation efforts. So, um, you know, it'd be great to hear about um, not only the other organizations you work with, but um, some of the native and indigenous groups in the area as well, if you could tell us about that. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. I think it's important to acknowledge that the area that we work in, the Upper American River and Upper Kasumnas River watersheds, they are the ancestral lands of the Nisanan and Sierra Miwok people. Uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, but also that the the lands that we protect, all of them are are culturally um, important to these tribes. And these tribes are still very active in the area and have um, robust cultures. And um, we have partnered with um, different tribal groups in our in our region, um, the El Dorado Miwok and uh, Shingle Springs Band of Miwok Indians and United Auburn Indian Community are just a few of the tribes we've worked with and we continue to work with on um, not only identifying areas that need to be protected for cultural resource protection, but also working with them to um, just understand how we can better manage the land. Um, indigenous perspectives are important and I think necessary for us to um, kind of get out of the mess we're in with regards to um, climate change, um, cultural practices like, like burning, described burning, for example, uh, we're, we're coming to realize now um, in the Western world that these have always been methods of managing the land. Um, and so it's time to listen and it's time to, to you know, make sure that we work with these communities um, to make those make their voices heard, but also give them an opportunity to practice those cultural and spiritual um, practices on on their ancestral lands. So that is important to us. Um, and I think in terms of partnerships with other with other agencies um, and other entities, we certainly we could not do anything that we do in a vacuum. We have to, by our nature, partner with um, other land management agencies like the Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, State Parks, but also other nonprofit organizations. So we have a network of land trusts in, in our region, but also in the state. And so I communicate on a regular basis with our partner land trusts, neighboring land trusts like Placer Land Trust and Bear Yuba Land Trust and Sacramento Valley Conservancy, Mother Lone Land Trust to the South, to really understand and make sure that the projects that we're working on are connected because what we're working on is, is bigger than just our service areas. And so we wanna make sure that our the, the lands that we conserve are connected to the lands that other you know, land trusts and land conservancies are protecting as well. It just makes our work more important. And more and and more effective. And, um, before the break, when you were talking about um, you know going in and uh, doing the land management, who is it that's doing it? Are who you know are there volunteers? Um, are you hiring organizations? I'm sure with the machinery that is need, yeah. needs to be used, you have to hire specific companies. But who's um, engaging in all that? Yeah, that's a great question. So for 
the um, French Meadows project, um, which we call the American Rivers Headwaters, American River Headwaters Restoration Project on our land. Um, we have gotten grants um, to hire contractors who are who have special equipment and have staff to do the um, types of mechanical thinning that needs to be done. We, we don't have the capacity as, as a 12 person staff to do that kind of work, but our staff just manage what manage and oversee the contractors that are working out there. So that's how we do the large scale stuff. Um, for smaller scale land management, uh, we do have a pretty large core of volunteers. And so we have volunteers that help us maintain different areas. We also have a group of volunteers, we call them our land stewards, and they go out and help us just monitor lands that we, we own. We currently own about 12,000 acres. So our staff can't be out there all the time. So we do rely on volunteers to kind of be the eyes and ears on the ground. And if there's any sort of overwhelming need to go out there and do land, you know, active management, which often there is, we will will either you know find funding to do that and hire contractors, or we will um, gather volunteers and do the work ourselves. Um, I think it's also important to mention that um, monitoring is a really important part of land management. So you can do you know management activities like you know cleaning up the the dead wood that falls on the ground or after a storm or you know, fixing the fences that fall down, but you wouldn't know that anything needs to be done unless you have someone out there walking around and taking pictures or keeping a record of things. So that's a really important part of what we do in terms of stewardship. Yeah, and that's an excellent point with the monitoring because you don't, there's, there's so much land. I mean, how do you even get people? Are there trails that are built on the land that are already existing or that ARC? helps develop so people can um, get through parts of the land and see what's going on? Yeah, so on most of our lands, we try to have some element of public access. We can't always do that. Um, sometimes it's just not feasible um, because we have a lot of private access roads in our county in the area we work where, you know, a land, a piece of land that we protected might be adjacent to someone's residence and there might be a private road with a gate. So, you know, we can't always have public access, but we can have um, where we do have public access and trailheads and things like that. We, we do our best to create new trails and make sure that we have um, land stewards that go out there. We have an overwhelming um, response from land stewards who are people who are just interested in going out and hiking they're already doing it. So they might as well go out there and, um, you know, take their monitoring sheet with them and, and their phone to take pictures. Um, we also have areas that aren't open to the public that land stewards have adopted. And, you know, the benefits to them are they get to go hiking on this piece of land that, you know, nobody visits. It's not, it's not publicly accessible. And there's usually, um, you know, game trails, deer trails, and um, other roads that they can use to access permitting. Um, so getting into the, stu the stewardship, I, I know I took a look at ARC's website. Um, I was really impressed by all the different types of programs, classes, 
partnerships that you have. Um, so it would be great to hear about um, some of these programs that you provide for people in the community who are interested in learning more about the work that you do and also learning more about the lands and the watershed. Yeah. Um, so our stewardship and education programs, I think, are really closely linked. So we have um, stewardship programs that really focus on um, different types of uh, monitoring that we do. So we have, I just mentioned the land stewards program, and we have um, a bluebird nest box monitoring program that volunteers can be involved in. We, we put nest boxes out in different properties and bluebirds and other um, songbirds will make their nests in them in the springtime. And we monitor those and we provide data to a national database. And we also have a water quality monitoring program um, that is focused on the Kasumnis River, which is actually um, the watershed that's one of the watersheds that's being impacted by the Caldor fire. And um, so we have seven years of baseline data um, on 21 different sites on the Kasumnis River um, where we've monitored, uh, we have photo monitoring. So we take pictures of the sites that we monitor. We monitor water temperature. We monitor dissolved oxygen, electroconductivity, and um, pH of the water at the site. And we do that during the summer, usually. Um, but it's a really wonderful way. And I think we have over 50 volunteers that are involved in that water quality monitoring program. But it's, it's a way for people to connect with their watershed and connect with the water that they you know, get out of their faucet. Um, and build community because a lot of the areas that we work in are very rural and don't necessarily have like a community center. So this provides people with that social, um, you know, they get to in interact with other people in their community and take care of the resource, which is great. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Well, um, let's take a short break. And when we get back, um, we'll talk about some of the other um, stewardship um, that your organization does and um, education for the community. Um, this is United Heal America with Matt Mattern. We'll be back with Elena DeLacy of the American River Conservancy. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. Hey, we're back at ABC 790's Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter, and this is Dahlia Khalili, the guest host, and we're here with Elena DeLacy, Executive Director of the American River Conservancy, or ARC. Um, so when we left off before the break, you were talking about um, some of these volunteer opportunities, including, um, you know, some of the water um, quality monitoring that you do and this wonderful community of volunteers that you have from your area. Um, and I'd love to hear about some of the other opportunities that you provide the community, be it children, college students, um, adults. I'd love yeah. to hear more about that. Yeah, so 
a lot of the volunteers that participate in the land stewardship and monitoring programs I talked about are are attracted to what we do and and kind of their first entree into ARC is through our education and public programs. So we have everything ranging from you know day hikes to backpacking trips to um, day camps and field trips for schools to uh, we off we also offer um, ten week long um, undergraduate level courses um, through a partnership with the University of California. So it's a little bit of everything, and I would say that um, just starting with the the youth youth education is extremely important um, to what we do uh, in in our mission because it engages kids in nature, which is super important. Um, But they also get engaged in real issues. And um, it it helps to create creative problem solvers, I think, when when you're educating kids from a very young age to um, take care of their environment and take care of the watershed. Um, You're also creating advocates for the environment. So, So they're always going to um, remember those formative experiences. I know I do. <laughs> um, and want to make sure that, you know, there's always trees to shade their house or their neighborhood and um, clean their air. So um, I think also some of the benefits are that it cultivates leadership. A lot of our, our the children who have gone through our nature camp program have come back to um, be camp counselors when they're in, in high school. Um, and then we even have one person on staff who took nature camp when he was in nature camp when he was a little, little boy. So, you know, you know, he got his degree in environmental biology. So I think it really does show that multiple studies show that it's, it's extremely important for, um, development and, and civic engagement, um, and improving health. Um, and I would say that it doesn't end when kids go away to college. You know, environmental education is for everybody. Outdoor education and, and natural history education is for all ages. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm still learning about my environment. Um, we all have more to learn. There's so much to learn. And I think that's what it, what's exciting about our education programs is that there's something for all ages. Um, we have actually the starting this Thursday, we have our class. It's called the Climate Stewards of Central Sierra, um, and it's it's a it's a program that we offer as a, a partner through the University of California Ag and Natural Resources College. And um, so we we take you know people eighteen and over. So it's so it's geared towards adults, and it's really really focused on the Sierra Nevada foothills in our um, climate issues that we have here. So wildfire, drought, um, but it really talks about communication, Communi- communication um, regarding climate change, climate science, how, how people can better understand these climate science and models that are out there. Um, also, we'll talk about community resilience planning and how people can become involved in that sort of thing. So, you know, getting involved in fire safe councils, things like that. Um, and we have guest presenters who will come and talk to the class about ways they can be involved and, and the science behind 
climate change and climate adaptation. So that's that's one of the things and that we offer, just one of the many classes we offer. And uh, in the spring, we'll offer the California Naturalist um, certification course, which is another adult-based um, education program where um, people can actually get a certification um, as a certified naturalist. And they, you know, it's basically everything they want to know about California's natural history, but with a focus on the Sierra foothills and Sierra Nevada. Um, you know, pl- everything from plants and animals to water and geology and soils and everything in between. Um, so they can interpret what they see. And a lot of those people that go through those programs actually come back and um, lead hikes for us, or they'll um, participate in the water quality monitoring program, or they become land stewards, or they come and help um, run nature camp or do field trips with schools. So it's really kind of exciting to see the community of practice that's grown out of the um, those adult education opportunities. Um, and that's wonderful about all these. I like love hearing about all these programs that you do. The ones for the children, is there, do you work with certain school districts or in what area, um, how far, I guess, how far out from where your office is located do you extend? I, I would say that the vast majority of the children and youth that come to our programs are from this area. So our nature camp, which is a day camp in the summertime, is mostly residents to this area, or a lot of a lot of times we'll get grandchildren visiting their grandparents in the area, and the grandparents will send their kids to nature camp for the week. Um, and then for our school programs and field trips, which are held at a, a local farm that we manage, um, there are, most of them are local schools. But I will say that we've gotten schools as far away as Southern California that have come to the farm. It's a historic site. So it's kind of an interesting um, place to, to visit, but also we're very close to Coloma. The farm is like two miles from Coloma where gold was discovered. So a lot of, a lot of classes come to the region already, to, especially in fourth grade. Fourth mm-hmm. grade is when all California students learn about California history. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a stop along the way. Um, so we, I would say we get students from all over California, but um, mostly from the Sacramento region and El Dorado County schools, definitely. Um, we've had a bit of a hiatus uh, with school field trips for the last year because of COVID-19, but we're seeing an uptick in people, you know, schools wanting to get kids outside because all of our field trips are outside. So, you know, it's, it's really, um, really good to see that. And, and the field trips that we offer are all at our farm site, which is called Wakamatsu Farm. Um, and it's a historic site, um, and it's the first Japanese colony site in North America is how it got its name, Wakamatsu Farm. Um, all the people that came to that site in 1869 were from a town called Aizu Wakamatsu in Japan. And it's, it's a working farm still. Um, we have farmers that lease land on site and actually live there and, you know, um, they maintain livestock on site and also grow uh, produce um, for the community. So it's it's got lots of different things happening. And, um, you know, the farmers there are practicing 
regenerative agriculture. So they're not only, you know, a lot of times we think of agriculture as being, uh, or, you know, farming as being an extractive, you know, we're mm -hmm. just getting crops from the land, but really um, it's, it's a give and take, right? Like the farmers do um, steward the land and, um, you know, build the soil. It's all about the soil. So it's, it's, it's great to connect the, the kids that come for a school programs to that piece, you know, where food comes from, but also the history and the connections of um, people to the land there. Um, so what can people do if they want to get involved, donate to ARC, um, you know, come on any of these programs, mm -hmm. come to your camps, um, where can they go and um, how can they get more information? Um, so I would say the first thing to do is go to our website. It's www.arconservancy.org. And you can also follow us on social media. We have a Facebook account. I think it's uh, just America, just, you know, search for American River Conservancy. And then we have an Instagram account, which is at AR Conservancy. Um, and that'll get you to where you need to go. Um, if you go to our website, we have a schedule or calendar of events and uh, it's pretty packed uh, i would say um if you're in the area or if you live in the area there's something for everybody um and just yeah stop on by or just stop on by our nature center in coloma in the state park and if people want to donate um to arc um how can they do that um, they can do that also on our website, or you can donate through Facebook as well. Um, but our donate page is arconservancy.org slash donate. And um, there's also a big orange button on our homepage where you can um, make a donation to a vast array of different projects out there that we have. Thank you so much, Elena. It was wonderful to hear about all the really important work that American River Conservancy is doing. And um, it was a pleasure having you join the show today. So thanks Thank so you much. for having me. Um, this is United Heal America with Matt Matter. Um, see you next time. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968.